Happy American Thanksgiving. Sit down with your family, grab some turkey. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. You know, one thing that we haven't really highlighted much in our news this year, and that's a, a miss on our part, is some of the the historic parts of the game that are being accomplished this year. So I don't know how much of that we've really missed up until this week, but um, obviously don't want to miss that much further this year. So the first thing that we really want to highlight, because this is a huge accomplishment, Frank Gore passes Barry Sanders, arguably one of the best running backs of all time, to move into third place on the all-time rushing list. Um, Barry Sanders, for those of you not familiar, is like one of the most elusive running backs of all time. He didn't have the longest career, but he was just absolutely amazing during his time. And for Frank Gore to pass this, actually for anyone to to break into that top three, um, yeah, it's just absolutely incredible. Like you have to have either a long career or tons and tons of yards over the course of the first few years of your career to even be in contestion for this. This is absolutely huge. Yeah, and, and Frank Gore is one of those backs who, like, does he belong in the conversation of one of the best backs of all time? Probably not. Not talent-wise. It's his durability that's been incredible. Because, no, he's not as good as Emmett Smith. He's not as good as Barry Sanders was. That's not a question. But the fact that a running back has been able to so consistently perform, is he, what, 36 years old now? Something like that, to yeah, late of, 30s. Uh, yeah, with, with most of us seeing running backs starting to peter out at, like, 31, 32, Frank Gore's durability has been incredible. And really, without ever having too many amazing seasons. 2006, he had almost 1,700 rushing yards. But besides that, he's done it pretty much just grinding away every season. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's so impressive. And exactly, it's that durability factor that you don't really see with running backs anymore. I know Adrian Peterson is, I want to say within the top 10 there too, but who knows if Adrian Peterson will play long enough to to get into that same position as Frank Gore right now. So you have to respect the durability um of a player like that it's just absolutely phenomenal he has over 500 yards this year who knows how much further he can take it um i don't necessarily see him beating emmett smith's record which is pretty much untouchable yeah pretty much untouchable which is it's over 18,000 yards it's just ridiculous um but it was something that we wanted to highlight and for all those bills fans to have seen something like that um it's it's pretty remarkable for for him and for that franchise to yeah to have a historic moment like that displayed so that was pretty cool Another, I mean, this isn't necessarily historic, but just something that was kind of cool and stood out to us this past week. Mike Evans, his sixth straight 1,000-yard season to open his career. And that may not sound like much, but the only other person to do this was Randy Moss. So anytime that you hear your name along with Randy Moss's name, you have to be pretty darn happy with your production. I love Mike Evans. He has been one of those receivers who... I mean, honestly, like Julian Edelman from the Patriots, kind of can have the dropsies at times. His hands are not super, super solid, but he's in an offense that just works for him. His body positioning is incredible. His route running for his size is really good. He's dangerous after the catch. He really has been one of my favorite players to watch for the past few years, and that might have stemmed from the fact that I had him in fantasy football for a little bit. But I I do love, I love that we're having these historic players coming up now, six straight thousand yard seasons, and he's been in the league this entire time that I've been watching it, and that's been really cool to see. Well, and it's not like he's had a spectacular quarterback too. I mean, I like Winston and don't need to, to put that out there too much more. because he's, he's almost the perfect quarterback for Mike Evans though. Because, because he, he just throws up the ball. Yeah, he doesn't think. He just throws up the ball and Mike Evans is what, 6'5"? He can go and get it. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, anytime that you have a guy having, well, 1,043 yards and seven touchdowns, 62 receptions, all in the first, what, 12 games of the season? Or it's 12 weeks, so not even 12 games, 11 games. But um, 
yeah, it's it's just pretty remarkable. Again, anytime that you're in the same conversation as Randy Moss, that uh, that that's pretty damn good conversation to be in. So, uh, yeah, huge accomplishment for him and for the the Bucks franchise for having a player like that and finding a player like that in the draft. So, um, definitely wanted to shout out those two guys for those accomplishments. Um, transitioning to some other weird news. So we covered this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, can't remember what episode, but we did cover it where we talked about Andy Dalton being benched on his birthday. So, you know, picture your worst day at work or, uh, I don't know, just a rough time that you've gone through in your life and someone just making things. Yeah. Just, you know, making you feel even worse about yourself. That's sort of what happened with Andy Dalton to be replaced by a rookie Ryan Finley, uh, you know, with a winless Bengals team. And now they're calling him back to start Daniel. I have two theories and I want to know if you agree with either of them. But I'm also curious to hear if you have any theories. So my first theory is he's got one one year left on his contract after this year. Are they trying to increase his trade value? Or are they trying to assess whether he's the actual quarterback for the franchise going forward still? So they're trying to validate they don't need to draft Joe Burrow. What's your thought? I also have have two thoughts and they probably work together. Thought one, uh, the Bengals are just an absolute gong show and realize that Ryan Finley was not very good and we're like uh well uh okay uh, Dalton you're back which that to me is probably just being spiteful what realistically probably happened was they wanted to see if Ryan Finley could be a good quarterback they wanted to give him some snaps and they very quickly saw oh no like Andy Dalton is still the best quarterback on this roster and now they're putting him back in to try to win a game so I I understand that point of view but what really I think has a a chance to either make or break the Bengals next say five years or three years, whatever you want to say. If they go and get Joe Burrow, maybe that's a good move for the franchise, but I feel as though them passing on Chase Young, who's arguably one of the best defensive line prospects, according to what I've heard, one of the best defensive line prospects of the last, however many years, I feel like either way, it's going to be like, if Joe Burrow goes off to be a a great quarterback, okay, maybe not. But if, if they select Joe Burrow, he's a, a failure and Chase Young just rips it apart. Like, you know, I, I just feel like the Bengals are putting themselves in a lose-lose situation here. It's, if I don't know. It just it feels like there's a lot of conflict. Yeah, and it's hard because the last few years, pass rushers have had the value of a quarterback in the draft. You would almost go for an, an incredible young pass rusher over an incredible young quarterback in a draft. And Chase Young feels as can't miss as a guy like J.J. Watt did, as a guy like Jadavian Clowney did. And I mean, he was a little bit miss, but like... He's among those top prospects of just being a physical freak and being able to get after the quarterback. So for the Bengals, it's not an easy pick. Uh, you're left with, yeah, a quarterback who has shown his ability to win big games, his ability to, to throw the ball accurately, a guy who's a, who's a true leader and a potentially generational talent. So who knows? I mean, imagine if they can get Andy Dalton back for, what, 20, 25 mil a year. They'd probably take that and then just go and get Chase Young. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation there. Um, so one thing I will point out, as much as you want to blame the, you know, the, the quarterbacks in Cincinnati, they have the 30th ranked offensive line, according to football outsiders. So really, how much can you blame a quarterback for, for them not having success when your offensive line is that bad? Uh, like we talk about it on a weekly basis. The offensive line is so important to their success. Um, clearly being ranked the 30th <laughs> offensive line out of 32 is, is not going to make the quarterback having any easier of a job so not to mention losing the guy who has been kind of your rock as a quarterback Andy Dalton's entire career has been spent with AJ Green he's had him all the time as that safety blanket as that target he can trust as the guy who's always on the same page as him and to miss him for a whole season 
it, honestly, it'd be like Tom Brady losing Julian Edelman. It's a big shot to a quarterback's confidence to lose their favorite long-term target. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we still see some of their receivers doing rather well. Tyler Boyd is um, doing <laughs> pretty good for being a quarterback that's, or sorry, for being a receiver that's had, you know, not great quarterbacks all year they, long. They so. have a lot of good young weapons. They just, yeah. they don't have AJ Green. And I think that is a big thing. Definitely. Um, staying in that division, talking about another quarterback, Mason Rudolph has been benched by the Pittsburgh Finally. Steelers. Yeah. And Devlin Hodges or duck as he's commonly called is coming in to start. So, I mean, everyone saw the debacle that happened a couple weeks ago when they played Cleveland. Mason Rudolph had four picks in that game. Um, Pittsburgh almost lost to Cincinnati because of how bad Rudolph was playing as well. And Mike Tomlin sounded off on this in a, uh, a, con- a press conference. He, I-, I didn't hear the actual press conference itself, but I heard something along the lines of that, you know, he said like, he's not giving us a chance to win, so he's not going to be in the game. So yeah, they go to uh, Devlin Hodges. So he, he's played a couple games this year. Hasn't played absolutely, like hasn't played terrible. Um, Daniel, is this the right move for a team that's in yes. playoff contention right now? Yes. Mason Rudolph was, in my opinion, the 32nd ranked starting quarterback in the league. He was terrible and he showed it over and over and over again. And the one week I tried to show any confidence in him, he decided that he just wanted to throw the ball to Cleveland the entire night on a, on a Thursday night game. Um, I, I, I think the Steelers have realized at this point that the quarterback of the future is not on their roster. So question, is this more about Mason Rudolph not being a good quarterback or is this more about them playing Cleveland and them wanting to make this as clean a game as possible after what happened last time? I don't think Mike Tomlin has ever showed a care for keeping things clean. You can remember those Baltimore Steelers games from the early 2000s or, or early 2010s when they were just physical and brutal from from start to end. I really do think Where it's he just, stepped on the sideline and oh, tripped up gosh, the returner yeah. to Kobe Jacoby Jones. Right? Yeah, didn't he like he, a Charlie horse him or something? Or no, 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 no. He, so he, he just stepped on the field. Did that. Yeah, he just stepped on the field. But yeah, I don't think Mike Tomlin cares about that. I do think it's just acknowledging Mason Rudolph is not a starting quarterback and we'll try the next man up. Okay. No, that's uh, that's interesting insight. And we'll see if Devlin Hodges can lead them to uh, a better record and, you know, sustain that offense a little bit better than Mason Rudolph has. Because again, they're a playoff team. So their defense has proven that uh, that they can keep them in games if their quarterback can play relatively competitive so it'll be interesting to see how he performs uh moving on to some injuries to talk about so the saints offensive line is currently ranked by um currently ranked by football outsiders as the number one offensive line for run blocking and number seven for pass blocking a big loss to them right now with their left tackle going down uh to a high ankle sprain so that's teron armstead this is a week after losing Andres Pete to a, uh, a six-week injury, I believe. Something along those lines. So they're really beat up right now. Um, Daniel, do you think this has an effect on them going into the playoffs? Do they, you know, do they lose some momentum that they have? I mean, yeah, you and I always beat the drum for the importance of line play, and and I think that's where it's at for the Saints. You lost a guy who was probably in the conversation of being a top five tackle still in the league at least he was earlier in his career he's a talented guy very athletic tackle very very good at um, getting out on screens getting out for different swing blocks whatever that is but he's it's definitely not a guy that you want to be losing Um, and this team is pretty solidly like they're not missing the playoffs because of this and he'll be back in time for the playoffs and ready to go so I guess we'll see how they perform over the time without it I'm sure Drew Brees will be a little quicker to get the ball out with uh, the danger of getting hit a little bit quicker but this isn't going to hurt the Saints long-term. It'll just be a few rough games. 
Well, because you think about it, it was a couple weeks ago that they played the Falcons, and he got sacked six times, and that was after they lost Andrus Pete that game. So with them playing the the Falcons again on Thursday night, this this seems like a pretty big injury. Just who knows how many hits Breeze is going to take? Who knows um, how their offense will respond? So um, home field advantage is obviously going to be huge in the NFC. So who knows how that could shake up some of their NFC battles that they have down the stretch. I know that they play the 49ers in a couple weeks, right? It, those are guys that you want when you're playing that scary 49er front. So definitely a noteworthy injury. And speaking of going up against that scary 49er front, the Ravens placed their starting safety, Matt, or safety, starting center, Matt Skura on IR uh, yesterday, the day before. And that's brutal for this team. They've been so reliant on the run and to lose a guy, I think he was leading all offensive linemen and Pro Bowl votes. Really, really good center. I'd have to place him on IR. No one's stopping the Ravens at this point, but that definitely doesn't help their offense continue to perform at this level. Yeah, it's uh, they talk about it so often in different uh, different games you'll see where they talk about one offensive line has been playing the whole year together as one cohesive unit. The other offensive line is a bunch of guys who come in each week and maybe there's 10 linemen that have played on that line over the course of the year just flipping in and out. So you can see that the the strength of a line often comes with how often the guys are playing together and you know, how many guys are coming in to fill spots. So um, I would imagine that their their next man up in Baltimore will be just as fit to uh, to lead their offensive line. But obviously it does take a hit, the, the cohesion there. Um, their offensive line is just playing out of this world right now. There's so many plays where, like just the read option, you see that there's it doesn't look like there's much, but then their, their tight end pulls or their tackle pulls and you just see a hole open up. Against the the Rams, I know I I saw this a couple times, and it's just like the defense has no chance to stop whether it's Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, or Lamar. Like it's just it's unreal how well their offensive line is playing, and uh, yeah, hopefully them losing their center doesn't hurt that too much. Another injury that we wanted to highlight, staying in the AFC, Eric Ebron. Um, you feel bad for a person when their season is ended, regardless. You feel extra bad for a person when they need surgery on both of their ankles. Um, that is the case with Eric Ebron, not one ankle that's taken him out for the year, but both of his ankles that he needs surgery on. Um, not having a huge year for the Colts. Um, obviously last year he had a pretty good season with the Colts. He had 66 catches for 750 yards and 13 touchdowns when Andrew Luck was, was leading that offense. This year, obviously they've had a bit of a change of pace with Jacoby Brissett leading that offense. And he's had 31 receptions, 375 yards and three touchdowns. Um, by tight end standards, I mean, that's not awful this year, but it's still not great for him. It's still a loss for the, for the Colts, right? He's a, he's a pretty big target for them. And it's unfortunate to see uh, a player suffer injuries like that. And finally, some good news on the injury front. The chargers are getting back a guy who is probably one of the best safeties in the league. Derwin James coming off of IR. And honestly, you can just imagine what this defense could have been with him the whole year. Even without him, they were 5th in total D for yardage, 12th in points against, the 4th best pass defense in the 20th against the run. With him in the lineup, they could have been maybe the best pass defense in the league. Now getting him back, I mean, I think we're at the point where the Chargers are, are we probably know they're not making the playoffs. Phillip Rivers is melting down, having a terrible season. But uh, to get this guy back, especially just to see what he can do over the rest of the season, is, is good to start looking forward to the next season for the Chargers. Yeah, and something that I'd be interested to see as well if I remember correctly Derwin James plays a decent amount of his snaps relatively close to the the line of scrimmage so um, I'd be curious to see if their run defense improves over the course of the year when he comes back um, that'd be interesting to see and again we've talked about this so many times with the Chargers and we'll continue to say it 
when that team is healthy and that team is, um, you know, in a, a relatively good place, they can beat almost any team in this league. And I mean, obviously it doesn't help that Phillip Rivers is appearing to be on the decline, but again, when they have their whole cohesive unit of players, um, they're obviously a, a pretty threatening team. So with more of their pieces coming back, it's, it's too late this year, but again, this is one of those teams that seems like they always have a chance. So who knows, but uh, moving on from injuries, we want to get into what was a, a pretty crazy week this last week. Um, we want to talk about every game, but unfortunately we just can't get to necessarily every single game. So we're going to highlight the ones that really stuck out to us. So starting off with that uh, that AFC South battle on Thursday night. So the Houston Texans outlasted the Colts essentially and pulled off a 20-17 to 17 victory there. Daniel, is there anything that stuck out to you from this game? It is good to see the Texans get a win like this. They've been a team that it just it feels weird every time they lose because Deshaun Watson kind of is that winner, the guy who you always think can keep you in games, but he just hasn't shown that as much this year. And it's not on him. Their, their defense is really, really bad, but it was nice to see them pull out this win. It was nice to see their whole offense, kind of, well, whole offense, their big weapons getting involved with Will Fuller and, and um, DeAndre Hopkins making some plays. Um but yeah, for, for that division, this was a huge game, and we're going to be breaking them down a little bit later in the episode, but um, big win for the Texans, and as someone who is a fan of the Billy O'Brien-led uh, team, it, it's it's nice to see. Well, building on that, I think <laughs> we keep talking about offensive lines, and going to keep that message here. Last week, I said that I was not confident in the Texans to win this game because I saw Deshaun Watson literally get beat down by the Baltimore Ravens offensive, or sorry, by the Baltimore Ravens defensive line. Uh, Deshaun Watson's offensive line had no fight in them whatsoever. Watson was holding on to the ball too long. There were seven sacks uh, to Deshaun Watson in that game. So I was predicting a huge game for the Colts defensive line. Watson was only sacked one time in this game. Um, so whether that was him getting rid of the ball faster, whether that was him having his weapons and he was a little bit more sure of his throws and didn't have to wait as long, um, that, that was the big takeaway that I had from that. Uh, that game was just how well the offensive line played. In addition to that, the Colts didn't play bad. Um, their one questionable call away from potentially having a shot to tie it up and maybe take it into overtime or score a, a touchdown at the end of the game. Uh, there was that fumble that they said they didn't want to review, whatever the case was. But Jonathan Williams had a huge game too. He had 26 carries, 104 yards, one touchdown. This is after Marlon Mack went down. It seems like the the Colts have a pretty good team there. And who knows, if Jacoby Brissett can step up a little bit more than he has the past couple weeks, this team could still win the division. So anyways, don't want to talk about that division too much right now because we'll cover it later. But yeah, that's uh, those two teams are interesting ones in that AFC race. Um, another team that might be making a, a push in the AFC is the Browns. And they heated up this week as they beat the Miami Dolphins. So take of it what you will, but they put on a pretty good performance against the Miami Dolphins this past week. When the season started, I mean, right, the, the Browns were Super Bowl champions before the first snap of the regular season had been played. It felt like they were talked about so much, and yeah, they sucked. They were so terrible when the year started. And I think a lot of people who have watched enough football knew that it wasn't a lack of talent. It was a lack of chemistry because that's what tends to hit these teams. And I think that chemistry is starting to to really light up now. And I mean, the Browns are not out of the playoff race. They're getting Odell Beckham involved. They're getting Jarvis Landry involved. Baker Mayfield is starting to maybe show signs that these, these first few months of the season were 
just him kind of getting back into the swing of things. And I think Nick Chubb is starting to really put his name in the conversation for being one of the elite running backs in the NFL right now. That offense is getting David Njoku back soon. I think this week they're saying he could be playing. He's nothing crazy, but he'll be a nice addition. The Browns are a scary team all of a sudden. We'll have to see what they do to the Steelers this week, but they really are in the conversation for being a potential playoff threat now. So we have to uh, to put some sensitivity around the world. We're threatening team or scary team in the AFC. Um, they're scary for any team that's fighting for a wild card spot. Not necessarily scary if you're in the top half of the AFC. Um, but I mean, think long term. Like, do I think that this team is better than Baltimore, New England? No. Do I think that they could be better than Houston? Definitely. Indianapolis? Definitely. All these other teams that are are confidently in the playoffs right now, I could see them beating the Chiefs. They have as many offensive weapons as Kansas City does. Yeah, and their their defense is, uh, you know, it, it's playing pretty Joe well. Joe Schobert has yeah. been unreal this year. Yeah, he's had three picks in the last two games, I think, or something along those lines. He's been playing pretty well. Um, but one thing I want to say before we move on to the next game here is that this is sort of the stat line we expected from some of the Brown superstars this week. And it was kind of neat to see it actually happen for the first time this year. Baker Mayfield, 300 plus yards, three touchdowns and one pick. So we'll give him that. But Nick Chubb, 21 carries, 106 yards, one touchdown, three catches for 58 yards. Pretty impressive. And again, moving up into elite status for running backs. Jarvis Landry, 10 catches, 148 yards, two touchdowns. Odell Beckham Jr., six catches, 84 yards, one touchdown. This feels like the stat lines that we were expecting from them from the start of the year, and to see them actually fulfilling that, I mean, it does provide some optimism, uh, whether it's for them making the playoffs this year or whether it's for going into next year. If they can build that chemistry in the next couple weeks, um, yeah, maybe they will live up to the expectations they're supposed to have this year at the start of next year. And just Um, let let me shout out my boy, Devontae Parker. Once Preston Williams went down, has shown that he maybe can really be a number one. And I'm so happy for those of you. I think I've said this on the podcast before. For those of you who don't know that draft when Devonte Parker came out, I said he was the best receiver in that draft by a long shot. And Devonte Parker has been pretty bad his entire career to this point. I think this is year four for him or year five now. Um, and I've picked him in fantasy every year and regretted it. But finally now it's nothing special, but Devonte Parker is, has now strung together four or five solid low end number one receiver weeks. Well, and it's just provides some optimism for uh, an otherwise struggling Miami squad this year. Uh, I think he's only 26 still, too, 26 or 27. So it's not like he can't have a future ahead of him. No, fair enough. If they build an offensive line there, build a a stronger offense, uh, get a consistent quarterback in there, he could be a threat. Get a quarterback. Well, yeah. Their (laughs) offensive line isn't great either, though. We know that (laughs) putting a a good quarterback behind a bad offensive line doesn't change too much. But... Um, yeah, we've talked about Brian Flores. We're confident in the ability that he'll have to change around that franchise. And as long as they don't trade away Devonte Parker, which is what their theme has been all year is to trade away their good players at various parts of the year. Um, yeah, he'll be a, a building block for them for sure. Um, moving on to the next game of the week that we wanted to talk about. So I've mentioned multiple times that I like the Raiders. I think the Raiders are a pretty good team and considering all the, the hoopla they had this off season for them to be playing at the level they are this year is is pretty good. Are they great? No, but they've done what they needed to do well enough to win games, and they've given themselves to some degree a shot in the AFC, which not many people had hopes for this year. So going into this game, I bet on them. I thought that they were going to beat the Jets, and I didn't know necessarily how close it would be. They got destroyed. Daniel, was this a surprise to you or just to me? Oh, I did not expect the Jets to win this game. I 
Honestly, at this point, though, I'm, I'm starting to bet in their favor. They have now strung together three wins. Sam Darnold at a press conference um, when they were sitting at one and seven and said, you know, we're not out of the playoff race yet. Um, and it looks like he's playing for it now. And like these are the stat lines that I expected from Darnold all year. 20 of 29, 315, two touchdowns. I do think he is that level of quarterback in terms of skill. Um, the Jets' run defense is as real as they come, holding Josh Jacobs to 34 yards rushing. What in the world? That is not supposed to happen. So, I like, the Jets, I can't, I can't say they're a good team yet. I'm sorry, Jets fans, but I also can't say that I think that they're the worst team in the league right now. They're, they're playing well. They've strung together three wins in a row now. I believe in all three wins they've scored 34 points. Um, so they've beat the Giants, the Bengals, I believe it was, and now the Raiders. Um, not necessarily the three best teams in the league, but I think, again... The Raiders are a good one, though. Yeah, the, the Raiders are, are good, absolutely. Um, I I want to see Sam Darnold play at this level consistently. And I know that we have a couple people that are Jets fans that listen to the podcast, and I, I want to say that I, I believe in Sam Darnold, and I think he can play at that level, but some weeks you'll see him have this kind of game that Daniel just mentioned, like over 300 yards and two touchdowns. The next week you'll see him throw three or four picks and have a, a terrible game that you don't Seeing know. Ghosts. Yeah. Like, uh, obviously that game against the Patriot was a huge outlier. Um, that was probably the worst game of his career. So anyways, I, I want to see him play consistently at this level. And if they can pull off a few more wins to end this season, that would be really impressive. Cause again, you, you said that this team had 10 win expectations coming into the year. So for them to somewhat live up to that would be, uh, would be pretty successful. To, and if all to things the play year. out, they could sneak into the playoffs. You never know. Okay, there are so many teams that are in that AFC race. It's, I don't necessarily know. The AFC race if, is insane. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if they'd be in that conversation right now. But um, yeah, no one really seems to be out of it in the AFC, to be honest. Uh, so the next game that we want to talk about, unfortunately, <laughs> we're just talking about teams that are still in it because the AFC is so weak. Unfortunately, a team that now looks like they're out of it, um, maybe not officially, but it just looks that way uh, with each week, is the Carolina Panthers. And we've talked about how much we love Christian McCaffrey and honestly if they were a playoff team he would be mvp i i still think this is a game they should have won this is a game that they were in like they were they were down pretty early they got back into the game kyle allen had a really good performance this week after coming off a bad week against the falcons he had three touchdown passes 256 yards and zero turnovers um dj moore tore it up mccaffrey tore it up their kicker did not tear it up he missed two <laughs> extra points <laughs> And he missed a field goal that would have put them up 34-31 and forced the Saints to drive down the field to tie the game or, or score a touchdown to win it. But the Panthers had so many opportunities to win this game and didn't and basically effectively gave up their opportunity to make a wild card spot in the NFC. Yeah, unfortunately, when you're playing in the conference that is far and away the stronger of the two, you just you can't lose games that are, are this close. To, to be a good team in a good conference, you have to always pull out the close ones and um, the Saints, you know, didn't look great. They actually were on the wire against the Panthers, and I think that speaks poor, poorly to their team. They were able to shut down McCaffrey, and well, not shut down, but hold back McCaffrey a bit in the run game, but obviously he came out and still did what he does through the air because he's Christian McCaffrey. But it, it really was. The Panthers lost this game. The Saints did not win it. Which is not necessarily something you'd expect to say, but again, I've I've said this multiple times in the last few podcast episodes that divisional games are so much harder than people realize and it could be a you know an undefeated team against a winless team but if it's a divisional battle it's going to be a close game like this so is it uh enough to say that the saints are a struggling team right now no i think that 
again, these divisional battles are quite tough. They have another divisional battle this Thursday night against the Falcons. I'm not willing to bet that it'll be a close one like this, but I think the Saints do need to improve on defense. That's for sure. Um, but I don't necessarily think that they have to panic. Um, <laughs> so both games in the NFC South this week were divisional games. So that's kind of a dumb statement. But anyways, so the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were playing the Atlanta Falcons to close out the NFC South games this week. And the Buccaneers shut down a Falcons team that's been on a hot streak the last two games. And a hot streak of two games isn't really a hot streak. But anyways, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played really well this past week. And Jameis Winston, typical Jameis Winston stat line, 313 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Chris Godwin tore it up. Seven catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. I believe he was the NFC player of the week, uh, or offensive player of the week. Ronald Jones, the second, 12 carries, 51 yards, one touchdown, three catches for 16 yards, proving that he's a, a somewhat effective running back in that system as well. Um, yeah, the Bucks played really well on offense and did what they had to do on defense to uh, to stop the Atlanta Falcons, including sacking Matt Ryan six times. If this podcast has taught me anything, it's that I need to stop buying into hype so quickly. I was right on the Falcons bandwagon, and then they lost to the Bucks, and they lost to, like you said, the most Jameis Winston stat line. Three touchdowns, two picks, 300 yards. But like you said, Godwin just decimated that defense. I think he went for a 71-yard touchdown on their first possession, something like that. It was crazy. Well, and... Like, let's take a, a step back for a second from the Buccaneers' offense because we know that uh, that Chris Godwin is unreal. We know that Mike Evans is unreal. Um, actually, fun fact, did you see that graphic uh, or that picture on Twitter today that all the top five receivers by yards, I believe, are all in the NFC South? It's uh, it's both Godwin, Evans, I want to say Julio, Mike Thomas. I can't remember who the fifth is. DJ Moore, I think, actually. Yeah, That's so a crazy division for receivers. Yeah, exactly. So the production coming out of that division is amazing. Or the defensive backs in that division are terrible, whichever one you want to say. But I think a, a big thing to take away from here is that the Atlanta Falcons went out this offseason and they invested heavily in their offensive line. Um, with the 14th pick in the draft, they picked up Chris Lidstrom, who, I mean, he's on IR right now. I think he only played the first week of the year and he uh, he was on IR after that. So can't say too much about that. But then their their second pick in the draft was Caleb McGarry at 31st overall. When you invest two players in your offensive line, you're addressing what you know is a big issue. What I find interesting is they're the 28th ranked offensive line by football outsiders right now. That's not okay. When you have an aging quarterback in Matt Ryan, who's still, I would argue, a pretty good quarterback in this league. I'd say definitely top 10 in this league still. You cannot let them get beat up. That's how you ruin the longevity of a quarterback like that's career. Um, you'd think that them investing in their offensive line would pay off, and this kind of game showed that it, it really has not. I mean, you can't expect a ton from rookies, even rookie offensive linemen. Hopefully this is a longer-term thing, and next year when Lindstrom gets back on the field and McGarry can develop a little bit, they can actually start really putting things together more. But I, this year is such a write-off. They'll get a nice high draft pick again, and if, if they draft well, this offense has all the tools to be good. They just need to put it all together. Definitely. Um yeah, I'd be an advocate to say that they need to invest even more in their offensive line if that's possible. So, um, but Calvin Ridley did have a good stat line, six catches, 85 yards and a touchdown. Just, I know he's been heating up quite a bit rather. Uh, the Sinu trade was huge for him. Yeah, that gave him a lot more opportunities, definitely. Um, so transitioning to another offense that, uh, that really struggled this past week, the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm still on the bandwagon of saying that this is the team that will win the NFC East. And call me crazy, but 
like, do I like the Cowboys? Absolutely. The Cowboys are good, but I think just with the schedule that the Eagles have to end the year, um, their defense is playing pretty well right now. Keeping the Seahawks to 17 points is not an easy feat, um, but it was just a bad day for the Eagles offense. And that was really what I took out of this one. Five turnovers total. Uh, one was a turnover on downs, but once had two interceptions and fumbled twice or sorry, fumbled three times, lost it twice. Um, I like Wentz. We've talked about it before. I think Wentz is a great player. He has no receivers around him right now. And I think that's the story of the Eagles' uh, offense this past week. Their offensive line is also pretty banged up. We saw Brandon Brooks was not in the lineup. Uh, Daniel, what else did you take away from this game? The Eagles are a bad team. I'm so, They're not winning this division. This is the Cowboys all the way. Their defense is good, though. I, but they're, they don't have a receiver. They don't have one receiver. It is like... The, Wentz has no one to throw to, and even the most elite quarterbacks just cannot do something with nothing, unfortunately. They're, they're at the point of desperation, and I can't confirm this 100%, but a, um, I believe it was a, an Eagles podcaster tweeted out that they um, brought back Cravon LeBlanc from IR this week. He's a slot corner. They were using him at wide receiver during practice. That is desperation. That is when you are just at a point where you don't know what to do anymore, and that's where this team is at. Their defense is solid. Carson Wentz is a really good quarterback, but they just they have two tight ends, and that's great. And then their receiving core is just hot garbage. Well, <laughs> moving on from their offense, um, like obviously that's what I feel is that. Sorry, one last comment. If they can put their offense together just a couple weeks and just get a few wins down the stretch here, I think that that division is competitive enough that they might still sneak in. That's just what I feel is it's kind of like the Patriots where their offense doesn't need to be great, but if their offense is just good enough because their defense is playing at that level, um, I think there's an opportunity for them to sneak in. But talking about their defense, the Seahawks offense wasn't too hot. Um, for Russell Wilson, who's like obviously in the MVP conversation this year, he, he had a rather insignificant game. He had 200 yards passing, one touchdown, one interceptions, was sacked six times, and uh, he had one fumble, which he lost. So not a great game for Russell Wilson, unfortunately. But you know who did have a great game for Seattle was Rashad Penny, their first round pick from a year ago. He had 14 carries, 129 yards, and one touchdown. Um, I, I don't know what else to take away from this game. The Seahawks punted seven times. The Eagles only punted four. So it's not like the, the Seahawks outplayed them on offense. It's the Eagles off. Sorry, the, it's not like the Seahawks outplayed the Eagles on offense, but the, the Eagles offense was just equally bad. The Seahawks also took 12 penalties. Um, they're the 13th most penalized team in the league. Like it, it just it felt like a really weird game for the Seahawks. And like good on them for getting a win when it wasn't just Russell Wilson carrying the team because that's kind of been their story for the last few years has been if Russell Wilson plays well, he'll just will them to victory. And it's nice to see them get a win where he didn't have a great game. I think that actually shows a lot about this team's mental toughness and their ability to win when their best player is not performing to his normal standards. For sure, because he's they put so much pressure on him on a weekly basis to win him the game. So every time he doesn't have to, it's uh, it's definitely huge. And, and it just goes to proving that they are a legitimate contender this year, even when they're having like their quarterbacks having a bad game, that they're still in it. Um, moving on to uh, to another AFC South battle that we saw this week. The Tennessee Titans against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What a you know what? We're gonna talk about the AFC South more, so I don't want to spoil too much about what I'm, what I'm gonna say there, but the Tennessee Titans offense was unreal this past week. Um Derrick Henry, 19 carries, 159 yards, two touchdowns. Tannehill, 259 yards passing, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. He was one of the highest scoring quarterbacks in fantasy football this past week. Um AJ Brown, four catches, 135 yards, one touchdown. 
just to one more fun fact to point out. The Titans ran for 219 yards total, and the Jaguars ran for 117 total. So they beat them by over 100 yards in the running game. Uh, those are like just seeing the Titans play this well on offense ever since they removed Marcus Mariota is pretty encouraging that they may be able to win this division. Derrick Henry, and again, we won't talk about them too much because we'll be breaking out a division, but Derrick Henry just is so weird. First eight weeks of the season, don't even think about Derrick Henry. Week nine hits, that second half of the season, just give him the ball 40 times a game because you'll probably put up 50 points if you do it. I don't understand. It's like defenses start to get worn out, and then Derrick Henry is like, okay, now I will be a beast, and then he just does. This has happened now at least two years in a row. He's just such a second-half player. Well, it's kind of interesting because Tennessee's kind of that hit-or-miss team, and it seems like Derrick Henry is uh, like their spirit animal, if you will. Like, it's just <laughs> like <laughs> whenever he has a, a good game, that team is hot. Whenever he has a poor game, that team is not. And I mean, a lot of that was driven by Marcus Mariota being a game manager. I don't know if you can call him a game manager. What would you call kind him? Like, yeah, game manager would be a decent title for him at this like point. He just, he would, it's also like A.J. Brown is proving to be a pretty proficient deep threat. So I heard this quote, and I like this. He was th- what people expected from Corey Davis. He is what Corey Davis yeah. was supposed to be kind of yeah. thing. And yeah, I, I like that. That's a pretty fair comment. He's, um, yeah, he was, he's given a chance in that offense. And especially with Tannehill, I, I think that they're actually featuring him a lot more than they were with Mariota. So they're actually giving him a chance to prove that he can be a, a strong receiver in, in that offense and across the league. Um, yeah, I'm quite hopeful that he'll have a good end of the year as well. And, and this offense is really heating up. We saw them run through the Chiefs defense, which isn't too much of an accomplishment. But if they can beat some of those teams like that because, you know, they have the ball in their hands so much and because they can score on the ground effectively. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty impressive. And as for the Jaguars, uh, Foles is 0-3 now. And like, raise your hand if you thought that was going to be the case coming into the year. It's uh, Gardner Minshew's four and four. Foles is zero and three. Does that make a case for them to put Minshew back in? Who knows? Um, but yeah, Foles had two hundred and seventy-two passing yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, just kind of a weird game. Leonard Fournette had twenty-four carries, ninety-seven yards, and two touchdowns, which is weird for a running back to get that many carries when you're trailing all game long. So that was kind of a weird stat line to see. But he also had nine catches for 62 yards. And since when has Leonard Fournette been a uh, back that's caught passes? Um, That sort of stood out to me. And then, yeah, Westbrook having eight catches for 69 yards there. Like their stat line was pretty good, but obviously they were battling back from uh, a huge deficit to start off the game there. So uh, this game proved more how the Titans are are strong in their division and how Derrick Henry can run through the Jaguars defense any day of the week, more so than it really showed anything about the Jaguars. And finally, we want to quickly talk about two games that are foreshadowing what is definitely the game of the week going into week 13 here. First of all, the 49ers absolutely manhandling the Green Bay Packers, holding Aaron Rodgers to 104 passing yards, which was one of our clues that Adam somehow got right. I still can't believe that. Sacking him five times, destroying their running game, just shutting down everything, having them go one of 15 on third down. What a showing by the Niners. So... One comment, I, or maybe two comments that I want to make. So Daniel said it, and small brag, Aaron Rodgers passed for just over 100 yards um, when that was something that, I mean, I predicted it last week, or I, I, I took that clue on, but didn't necessarily expect that was going to be the case. Um, so that was a huge performance by the San Francisco 49ers defense. But the other thing is, I said last week that Jimmy Garoppolo had to prove against a good team like the Packers and a strong defense that he was able to win this game for them. And with that defense playing as well as they did, he didn't necessarily have to win the game for him, for them, but he proved that he can. Like, they didn't win this game on offense because of their running game. They won this game 
on in their offense because of his ability to get the ball down the field to their playmakers. Um, obviously, George Kittle wasn't too tightly covered on his touchdown there. Or he was running in free space, but um, Garoppolo had 253 yards passing, uh, two touchdowns, and yeah, got the ball to his playmakers quite effectively. George Kittle, again, six catches, 129 yards, one touchdown, uh, including that. Like I don't know how many of his yards were on that touchdown, but it was quite a bit. And then Debo Samuel, two catches, 50 yards, and one touchdown as well. And that was right before the half. Like if there's anything demoralizing in the NFL, I think one of the most demoralizing things is when you score right before the half. Um, They just dominated. Uh, Garoppolo proved that he can beat a strong defense like the Packers. And again, he didn't necessarily have to for this team. Their defense was playing that well. But still, for, for him to have a showing like this was quite impressive. And not to be outdone by the, the I would say at this point, the 1B best team in the league, the 1A best team in the league, Baltimore Ravens, just absolutely massacred the Los Angeles Rams. And to be fair, I think most people are starting to realize the Rams aren't a good football team, but still, to do that to a team in prime time, it, it was crazy to watch. So Lamar Jackson is the, the MVP. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And as much as you might want to say Russell Wilson or anyone else, um, Lamar Jackson is the MVP. But I do want to say that a large reason for them playing as well as they are is because of that offensive line. Lamar is MVP, but that offensive line, the way that they're blocking for players like Gus Edwards and for, for Mark Ingram, um, the way that they're giving Lamar Jackson time in the pocket if he wants it, or the way that they're allowing him to also get out of the pocket and, and run, that offensive line is is playing amazing. Their tight ends are blocking like crazy as well. If you look at some of the holes at the beginning of the play, it looks like nothing's there. And as soon as the tight ends make it to their spot where they where they set up their blocks, like Mark Ingram has 20 yards to run before he's touched. Like that's how some of these plays are going. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think their offensive line is is the reason that they're playing this well. Um, obviously, again, Lamar Jackson is MVP, but their offensive line is playing unreal. And the defense has really, really stepped up. They've been looking stifling over the last little bit, just really kind of playing above their pay grade to a certain extent and helping that offense to pull out these insane levels of victory. So one thing that's interesting, and we see it (laughs) because these two played each other, but the Rams shipped off Marcus Peters to the Ravens because they wanted to go out and get a big-name guy in Jalen Ramsey. (laughs) Marcus Peters is kind of proving that ever since he got there, their defense has really changed around. He's made a lot of plays. Uh, He even had a a pick this week. Jalen Ramsey not doing so much for the Rams there. He's, uh, there was a play I showed Daniel right before we started recording where he's running alongside Mark Ingram for 15 yards and doesn't touch him. So it just goes to show that, you know, the Ravens made the strategic trade that they needed to at that point in time. And the Rams gave away a player that who knows that that might've been beneficial to their defense and got someone that hasn't proved to be all that much for their defense so far this year. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see those two players play against each other, uh, this week, but anyways, uh, we want to move into fantasy football, um, or talking about fantasy football and what we, we expect to come up in this next week. So a couple starts that we want to see, or that we, we could see being successful are David Montgomery against the Detroit Lions. So this is a, the first of three games on Thanksgiving day, the Detroit Lions defense is the ninth worst run defense. Um, Detroit's defense in general is just awful. And I can see the bears getting out to an early lead in this one. Um, the lions are starting a quarterback that I've never, ever heard of in my life. So it might be good to, uh, yeah, to bet on them this week, to score a lot of points and to give David Montgomery the ball quite a bit in the second half of this game. Uh, Daniel, who are a couple other names that you, you have here? I do just want to say about David Montgomery. He is currently besides Lamar Jackson leading the league in yards per carry. Um, 
which is pretty crazy to see. What? Yeah. David Montgomery with the ball in his hand has been um wait, I am I'm not Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary. Yeah, they okay. are the same back <laughs> in my mind. I'm sorry. Moving on. Todd Gurley might actually be worth starting this week, which I mean, a year ago, this is the most obvious statement in the world, but he has been super disappointing this year in an offense that sucks. Um, and as much as I don't trust the Rams offense, and quite honestly, I think Arizona is going to win this football game, you have to imagine they're going to lean on Gurley against a bad Arizona defense. And at the very least, he'll be getting some checkdowns from Jared Goff, just panicking as Chandler Jones chases him around. Well, and Jared Goff has proven that he's not he can't win games like he did last year for the Rams. So I think that whether or not they want to give Gurley the ball, they'll have to in a game like this. So definitely agree. Um, also I picked up Ryan Tannehill in fantasy this week, and I think I'm going to play him against the Colts. He's been pretty hot in the last two games In the last two games. Yeah. He's had four touchdown passes, zero interceptions, seven carries, 40 yards and two touchdowns. Um, yeah, those two touchdown runs were both against the Jaguars this past week. I'm willing to bet on him. I don't know why, but it feels like he's, he's leading this Titans juggernaut right now. And I'm willing to bet on him. Um, a couple quarterbacks I'm not willing to bet on this week. We just mentioned him, Jared Goff. Against Arizona's defense, Arizona's defense is the 32nd place pass defense, and we're still saying to sit Goff because he's playing that bad. Um, maybe it comes to the shock, maybe not. Just don't invest in Goff. Everyone's done their buys. Hopefully you have another quarterback. We're also saying not to start Nick Foles. He's playing the 31th pass defense in uh, Tampa Bay, and we're saying to sit him again. We're not confident in him, and yeah, it's uh, it may not be a wise decision to play him if you have another quarterback that's that's a little bit more consistent and then Cortland Sutton so we said not to start him last week he had one catch for 27 yards against the Buffalo Bills so we did right there and now he's playing uh I have uh, Los Angeles Chargers team here as the fourth best pass defense so who knows maybe they copy uh, Buffalo's strategy and they shut him down so we're saying to be a little bit more sensitive to Cortland Sutton who's the number one receiver in Denver right now so um Again, if we have any say in your fantasy football decisions whatsoever, you're welcome for those. Um, but we really want to get into the, the AFC South breakdown. And, and in our first episode of our podcast, we talked a little bit about this division, but um, we've been doing pretty in-depth analysis over the course of the last however many weeks um, throughout all the divisions. And we want to spend some more time on this division this week. So even if we did cover them a little bit in the first episode, it's time to really uh, hit home with with them at this point in the year. So as always, let's start in the basement of this division. So the Jacksonville Jaguars. Daniel, what, what do you have to say about these guys this year? They came in with such high hopes. The defense was supposed to rebound from a bad year. Nick Foles was supposed to be the savior that would lead them into the promised land that Blake Bortles never could. And instead, they've been really disappointing. Um, obviously, Minshew Mania was, was fun while it lasted, but all of a sudden, this team is 4-7 and seven and just not even in the playoff hunt in any way even if they're not technically eliminated um and i mean this is what you get you, you start trading away some of your best players obviously they shipped off jalen ramsey and they're sitting 15th in yards that's fine but 22nd for points against just ugly to see a team that i mean was historically one of the better defenses we've seen especially in the past five seasons they were just dominant yeah that 27 season or 2017 season sorry uh when they made it to the afc championship game against the pats like they had a legit shot to win that game because of their defense Oh, their, their defense was gonna stop everyone and anyone like that was just how good they were yeah and i mean clayus campbell still being there like they still have quite a few pieces of that team aj Boye is not a bad pass rusher and he has an awesome name yeah <laughs> exactly so uh, that defense they still have quite a few pieces that was part of that dominant defense um a few other names to mention 
So we mentioned Gardner Minshew. Uh, so he had over 2,200 yards in the games that he played. He had 13 touchdowns and four interceptions. So that's actually a pretty comparable stat line this year to to Tom Brady, surprisingly, um, or, or at the points in the year where they were uh, where Minshew was starting and where Brady was at that point in the year. Minshew had similar stats. So um, obviously you're going to go back to Foles because you're paying him that much money. But he's had 643 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Um, his completion percentage is a little bit higher, but that's because he's not forcing the or the ball down the field as much. So it's kind of interesting that Minshew is forcing the ball down the field quite a bit as a rookie, and Foles isn't quite doing that. He's being a bit more conservative, and that's obviously hurting their offense. Um, Leonard Fournette is having a great year, 206 carries, 951 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, the three touchdowns is rather surprising. When I saw that, I was a bit shocked. Um, I'm going to highlight DJ Chark uh, specifically here. Uh, or sorry, DJ Chark Jr., 56 catches, 834 yards, eight touchdowns. I have him on multiple fantasy teams of mine, and he's been a receiver that I didn't know would be this good this year. He's kind of come out of nowhere, and a lot of that was to do with Gardner Minshew. Um, He was obviously the favorite target of Minshew to put up those kind of numbers, but uh, he's been a really, really bright spot for them. Yeah, we watched the future superstar breakout. I I do think Chark is that good, and he came out of nowhere, and... I mean, he's exciting. He's he's fast. He knows how to get down the field. And uh, if nothing else, he gave us, I, I don't know if you saw the video, the the wonderful video from a Mexican um, broadcast of a game where he scored a touchdown and the broadcaster proceeded to sing DJ Chark, do, 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 which I thought was hilarious, especially because the Baby Shark song is still a meme. But <laughs> I've never seen that. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's a great superstar, um, or in the making at least. Um, they also have some additional names at receiver that you may not have heard of before dd westbrook um, a little bit more well known but chris conley also not having a terrible year um you know those are two receivers that are pretty consistent for them and and have the chance to be good uh focusing a little bit more on that defense they have miles jack who's their tackle leader right now with 66 tackles josh allen a rookie is leading their uh their defensive unit there in sacks with eight uh yannick ngakwe as we mentioned has six sacks uh, 10 tackles for loss Calais Campbell, five and a half sacks. Ronnie Harrison and Trey Herndon both have two interceptions on this unit. Um, you know, they're they're a pretty good team and a pretty uh, or a pretty good team on paper, at least. Um, I think that they should, they're one of those teams that feels like they should have more wins than they do. Their offensive line, well, offensive line is ranked 24th. So uh, that obviously hurts them. But um, they've got a, a relatively weak schedule coming up. So who knows how they'll finish the season? I mean, my guess at this point is six and 10. Um, but we'll have to see as as these games go by. We'll see if Nick Foles starts to step up his game a bit and maybe bring him to some victories. Um, coming in at third place in this division is a team that really is not out of the race. The Tennessee Titans currently sitting at 6-5 and five, um, with, I mean, I think everyone knew their defense would be good. We probably thought they'd be a little better than they've been, but ninth in points against is nothing to laugh at. The offense has, I honestly can't say statistically, but has by the eye test gotten better since Mariota got benched, so that's been good to see. Yeah, I think... Don't quote me on this, but I think that ever since Mariota got benched, they've had 15 points more per game or something ridiculous like that. It's been a a large transformation for them. Daniel, without looking at our notes, what is Ryan Tannehill's record in games he started this year? He started five. What is his record? Like off the top of my head, I would say like three and two, two and three, somewhere in there. Four and one. Oh, wow. Since Ryan Tannehill's come in and started, he's played in seven games, but in the games he started, he's four and one. Um, his stat line is, is, I mean, 
nothing beautiful, but 100 or sorry, 1,420 yards, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. Derrick Henry again has had some pretty big games, which have aided his numbers. But 206 carries, 991 10 yards, touchdowns. 10 touchdowns, 10 touchdowns in comparison to Fournette's three. AJ Brown, as we've talked about, has come up quite a bit, and uh, you know, for a rookie, has done quite a bit in that offense. 31 uh, receptions for 581 yards, four touchdowns. Um, they've got some like relatively. I mean, not necessarily the most popular names, but guys that were drafted in the first round that are making a big impact on that defense. Rashawn Evans, a linebacker, leading their team with 85 tackles. Harold Landry, the third, eight sacks, which is leading their team. He has 12 tackles for loss, which is their leader. The 12 TFLs is almost more impressive to me than the eight sacks. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's what, like, you don't really hear these names either. Until I did analysis on this team, like, I know these are first round picks, or Rashawn Evans might be a second round pick, but, um, before really looking into this, you don't really hear those names all that often. Uh, Logan Ryan is second on the team in sacks with three and a half, which is kind of terrible considering he's a, a member of the secondary there. Um, but Kevin Byard and Logan Ryan each have three interceptions. So that's also not too bad. Um, Malcolm Butler is out for the year for them, but I know that he's a pretty good corner who contributes to their defense quite a bit. So um, overall, this is a pretty good team. And you know what? I'm a, I like the Colts. I like Jacoby Brissett. I like what the Colts are doing. Due to some injuries and uh, just how they looked in the past couple weeks, I'm thinking the Titans win this division. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I still don't agree with you. Um, and and we'll we'll get to the team that I think is going to win the division. I, they are in first right now, and I'd, I'd be shocked if they didn't. But let's talk about those Colts because they are a team that's that's pushing for it, and a team that. I mean, I think as soon as Andrew Luck retired, everybody thought that they might as well just throw in the towel on the year. But Jacoby Brissett has performed admirably, not amazingly, but he's shown that 15 mil a year for two years was a great contract by the Colts to lock him down for a little bit. Um, 28th in passing yards a game. Like I said, nothing special from him, but he's been good enough to win them games. Um, Third in rush yards per game, and that's how you end up with an effective offense is Marlon Mack and Niamh Hines and now Jonathan, um, Williams. Jonathan Williams running the ball well behind a really good offensive line behind maybe the best guard in football. Yeah, Quentin Nelson is definitely, I would argue, one of the best guards in football. We've talked about Brandon Brooks in that spot too, so it, it's arguable, but Quentin Nelson is a name that you hear quite often watching Colts games. Um, what's rather impressive is this this Colts offense doesn't have a whole lot of weapons outside of that running back group. They have T.Y. Hilton, but he's had a pretty underwhelming year this year. He has 35 receptions, 378 yards, and five touchdowns. Um, that is only in seven games played. But still, I mean, like just watching him this past week against the Texans, I know he's been banged up this year, but he was rather unimpressive. He had a couple key drops that um, that could have changed that game a little bit. So I wasn't too impressed to see that. Zach Pascal, though, has come out of nowhere for the most part, and he's had 23 catches, 364 yards, and four touchdowns. So him having a similar stat line to T.Y. Hilton is a bit weird. Uh, we talked about Eric Ebron earlier, who wasn't having a, a great season, but was, was somewhat contributing to this offense. So obviously Jacoby Brissett's passing yards reflect the fact that his receivers aren't as effective as they were with Luck. Um, but moving on to that defense. So a stud in their defense that doesn't get mentioned all that much. Um, he did quite a bit last year, but this year his name's been rather quiet. Darius Leonard, he's their leader in tackles with 71. He's second in sacks as a linebacker, which is really impressive. And uh, I want to say he he either leads the team in interceptions or he's he's up there with interceptions as well, which is impressive he's as a linebacker. He's tied for the lead with two. Okay, he's Him tied and for Kenny the, Moore. Him and Kenny Moore, nice. Okay, um, and that's another name that really stands out in that defense as well. Kenny Moore, um, he again has, has two interceptions and 
Um, yeah, Justin Houston is playing pretty well there. He's their sack leader. That's like with such eight a sacks. weird throwback. I honestly forgot Justin Houston was still in the league, but another. I mean, this the division has three eight sack guys so far. That's kind of funny. But Houston leading a league in, leading a team in sacks is not something that I would have expected to hear in 2019. Well, no kidding. And he's he's obviously an older guy. He got cut from the Chiefs this past offseason because they thought he was too old. And we saw him dominate against the Chiefs in that game because it was kind of that like I'm still here game. Um, he's also their uh, leader in tackles for loss, I believe, with 11. So. We talked about it. Their offensive line is the ninth best ranked, according to football outsiders. Like this is the team that's, they've got a, again, a pretty good defense on paper. Their offense isn't as great on paper behind that offensive line. They run the ball quite effectively, but Jacoby Brissett isn't as effective in getting the ball out to his playmakers as Andrew Luck was, but still Jacoby Brissett is a quarterback that's got his team um, in a spot where they could make a, not necessarily a run in the AFC, but where they could make a run at this division against the Texans. Yeah, they're, they're a solid enough football team that defense is performing well sitting at um at 12th for points against and 13th for yards against it it's a fine team and in a division that is very much up for grabs you, you definitely can't count them out yet so we'll have to see kind of how things shake out down the stretch but to where, move to the team that i think sorry where do you have the colts record wise and maybe the oh, titans yeah, too. sorry i forgot to say um looking at the rest of the schedule i have the titans at seven and nine which i it is just such a tough stretch for them they have to play um, who is it now? Give me a second. They have to play the Colts, the Raiders, the Texans twice, and the Saints, and I just can't see them winning a lot of those games. And then I have the Colts at nine and seven. Um, and then here with Houston, I have them going eleven and five actually, and that's why I have them. I, I do think the division is theirs. They have not that many tough games left. I think that they do match up well against the Titans to beat them in their two games. They play the Broncos, who are just terrible. So I think Houston, with the schedule on the stretch, should finish up 11-5. and five, And that is all led by one man, and that is Deshaun Watson. He is just – he's that good. I, he, I don't know how I can say this honestly, but I still think he's underrated. I still think people don't quite understand. And, like, he's in MVP conversations, and I feel like people are still underrating just how good he is. He's sitting at uh, 2,900 yards on the season – a 69 completion percentage, which is pretty incredible for a guy throwing the ball downfield to Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. He's got 20 touchdowns, only seven picks, and he's a proficient runner. We all know this. 58 carries, 301 yards, another five TDs on the ground. He is just such a solid player in this league. So fun to watch. Such a, like, just a good character guy who you want to succeed. So one stat I will point out as well, he's been sacked 32 times this year. Um, that offensive line is not great. They're the, currently the uh, 18th ranked offensive line by football outsiders. So um, seven of those sacks did come against the Ravens. Yes, but I feel like a good defense, like the Patriots that they play this week may be able to expose that. And we know a quarterback isn't effective. And especially with their deep uh, down the field passing game that we saw against the Colts this past week, if you can get to Watson fast and not allow him to have time to look down the field, um, that offensive line does scare me. So uh, take of that what you will. But DeAndre Hopkins, we know he's a stud. We know he's one of the best receivers in the league. And Bill Belichick today came out and said he is the definition of an NFL wide receiver. He has 81 receptions, 839 yards, six touchdowns. Um, he's second in the league in receptions this year. Will Fuller, who's been banged up, uh, he's only played in eight games this year. He has 41 receptions, 590 yards, and three touchdowns. We saw him have 140 this past week. If I think. he hadn't missed those weeks, he might be leading the team in receiving yards. You think so? Well, just because he stretches the field so yeah. much. Each of his He's receptions so is, is, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. You know, a stat that really impressed me with this team, Carlos Hyde. I was, 830, oh, if you were going to pick on it, I was. Carlos Hyde is having a really 836 good yards, 4.8 yards per carry, four touchdowns. Daniel, like, 
Carlos Hyde, I believe he was an offseason trade for them, right? Because he was with the Chiefs last year. Yeah. Carlos Hyde has been a player who every year his name has been in the conversation of, is this the year? Is this the year that he finally breaks out? Everyone's always seen the talent. He's just never put it all together, um, at least not consistently for one team. And so is this a special season? No, but 4.8 yards per carry and 76 yards a game is not something to laugh at, especially behind a not great offensive line. Well, and the fact that this is such a, like, if you think of the Texans, you think of them as a passing team. You don't really think of them as a rushing team, but the fact that they're sixth per game in rushing too, that just, I think that's a testament to, um, to Carlos Hyde and how well he's playing this year, as well as how much attention they've actually paid to the running game. So him and Duke Johnson are a really good one to punch in terms of style. Like yeah. Carlos Hyde is that nice, strong power running back. And Duke Johnson is one of the better receiving backs in the league. So to see them working together and I mean, combined, that team is averaging, yeah, like over five yards a carry, which is really, really solid. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. But um, to talk about their defense like we did for the rest of the teams in this division. Um, so what's some of the other teams had a tackle leader that was, you know, a, a linebacker. And then they had a couple other big name players at different levels of their defense, um, whether it was tackles for loss or different categories that they were leading for the Texans. <laughs> It's Whitney Merciless, one of their linebackers with 5.5 sacks. I believe he's their sack leader. 13 tackles for loss. I believe he leads them in that category as well. He has one interception, uh, four forced fumbles. Looking over their defensive stats, he was the only player that really stood out to me as effective this year. We know that they traded away Jadavion Clowney before the season started. J.J. Watt is uh, is out for the year, but was having a pretty, pretty good year before um, his injury. This defense is nothing special. Um, so they're 17th against the run. They're 25th past D in the league. Um, that's why I'm not confident in saying that they'll win this division. So I'm, I'm kind of counter countering what you said earlier. They play the Titans twice. I, I believe in Ryan Tannehill for some weird reason this year. And I believe that Derrick Henry, like you said, in the second half of the year, he's stronger. I think that they play the Texans two times. I have a strong feeling that Derrick Henry can run through that defense um, and I think the defense might be the downfall of the Texans this year. As you good as Deshaun Watson can play, I feel like there's some weird reason why I'm buying into the Titans right now, which is never a statement I've ever made in my life. You are not giving enough credit to this team's middle linebackers. In a 3-4, you have Zach Cunningham and Bernardic McKinney um, working together in the middle of the field. 91 tackles for Cunningham, 79 for McKinney, um, two, force fum- or, sorry, two fumble recoveries for both of them, a couple passes defense between them, um, nine tackles for loss between them. That's a really solid one-two punch for a three-four middle linebacker set. You can't discount that, especially against the run. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I have no analytics to back this up. But I the, like Tannehill's playing at a level that we haven't really seen. He's again four and one in the games that he's started. I feel like um, because the Titans play the Colts this week and because they face the Texans two more times, I feel like the Titans have some sort of momentum. I, I think that they really can run the ball down the Texans throat. Um, we saw the Colts do that this past week. I'm confident to say that the Titans can win the division if they can win those games. So anyways, we'll, we'll agree to disagree and see how, how our, uh, how our bets work out. Um, obviously our bets haven't been too great in this year, as you'll hear in our clues of the week when we talk about our records, but, uh, that's one of the more fun divisions in football, just because it's such a mess and no one has any clue who's going to win. Three Every teams team are separated. almost feels like they should be better than they are. Well, three of those teams Except are above, Titans. three of those teams are above 500. Yeah. The Titans are overperforming. I would say the other three are probably all underperforming. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. So it's just, it's one of the weirder divisions in football where like, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. They're all winning records, but like, yeah, very under underwhelming or underperforming yeah. to the standard. So anyways, um, yeah. So that was our breakdown of the AFC South. 
Uh, we want to cover some tweets of the week. Um, not too many special ones this week, but Daniel, what did you think of Dwayne Haskins after his, or actually not after his first win, during his first win, going and taking a selfie with a fan um, with a few seconds left in the game. Case Keenum actually saw the field to take the final knee in this game. Oh my gosh. I We played youth football together. Daniel, what would our coach have done to us if we ever did something stupid oh, like this? The entire team would have run for like an hour, man. I don't understand <laughs> A, how you don't know how much time was left on the clock. But B, Dwayne Haskins, you've still played pretty terribly. Like, I'm sorry. You need to be, like, doing everything you can to stay on your coach's good side and to miss the dang kneel down. Like, come on, man. I don't know how you miss that. But the selfie turned out really good. So there's a lot of nice... <laughs> it might be his career highlight, so we should hold on tight to that. <laughs> a lot of nice-looking faces in Washington. So that's one thing we learned from that photo and that tweet was, yeah, Dwayne Haskins has a good selfie game, but... Um, another interesting tweet from the week was uh, was a highlight or a, a clip from Sheldon Richardson where they're asking him not about the game that he had just played this past week against uh, the Miami Dolphins, but rather uh, getting ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers game. And they said to him, so who do you want playing at quarterback for the Steelers? Do you want Mason Rudolph? And he said, yeah, we want Mason Rudolph or something along those lines. And he said, did you see how we played last week? And it was just kind of funny because it, it seemed like they had moved on to the next question in the interview. And he just went back to that just to make that one little anecdote towards Everybody Rudolph. Everybody knows he's just that bad. Well, it, it's just so funny to, to hear players be that real about it. Um, one last thing I'm going to say, it's not on our uh, schedule right now or not on our content plan here, but man, the Ravens are so cocky right now. It's ridiculous. Earl Thomas coming out and making a comment today, and I saw this all over Twitter, that he said, yeah, like if the 49ers are the team that we play in the Super Bowl, they're getting a little preview of how much they're trouble or how much trouble they're in for or whoever we play in the Super Bowl is in for trouble. Um, pretty confident comment. Michael Vick had that video this week that was on Twitter where he said like, look, you've done what no other quarterback has done, Lamar. We're upgrading your speed in Madden. And Lamar said 96 is still too slow for me. Like this team is just so cocky and I sort of like it, but I sort of don't. I know that you're not one of those people that likes the ego, but like I'm like okay with they're it. They're just unstoppable. Like, yeah. I can't blame them. No one is stopping this team. They're beating the Niners this week. Honestly, I don't think the Niners actually have a shot in this game. You'll hear this a little bit later when we do it in our clues, but the, I don't really know what to do with the Ravens. This is an offense that we've never seen before. And I know some of you will be like, oh, read option, the Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. No, they're running the read option out of heavy sets. It makes no sense, but they're dummying teams with it. No one can stop them. They know it. And until a defensive coordinator figures this out, which they will, everyone thought Mahomes was unstoppable and, and, They've proven that with an offseason to work, defensive coordinators can figure stuff out. But for now, they are unstoppable. Yeah, and uh, not going to let Daniel fan fanboy anymore over that offense, but agreed that offense is special. Um, and we've talked about it the last couple episodes. But moving into our clues of the week, Daniel, for tradition, I'm going to let you read them. Um, but yeah, we're, we're sitting at what we think is 12 and 12. We, we sort of messed up our math at some point in the year, so we're not quite sure where we went wrong. Yeah, but we lost a clue along the way, but our records have been pretty consistently around 500. So yeah, we kind of bumped ourselves instead of listening through all the old episodes to figure out which one we missed, we're just going to assume we're at 500. Yeah, it works. So heading into our clues then, and, and with a big Thanksgiving day coming up, the first game is at 1130. So hopefully you'll already have heard us by then, but our first clue of the week, and this is, I think, the night game tomorrow. No, this is middle of the game. Oh, the middle game. So, Adam, will the Bills beat the Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day? Both of these teams have not beat a team over 500, I believe. Or there's there's some weird stat that like these teams have not played good competition. I think the Bills do beat the Cowboys. And I know it's just because you're going to say the Cowboys win, so I'm 
just going for the the parody here. But I think the Bills do actually beat the Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I you're right. I think the Cowboys have this game. I still don't know how much I believe in the Bills. We'll see a little bit more in the next couple of weeks, but I think it's it's the Cowboys game. Uh, so the second one, will the 49ers hold the Ravens to less than 20 points in Baltimore? I feel as though this game is going to be more high scoring than people are expecting. Um, two pretty solid defense. Well, the Ravens are a solid defense. The 49ers are led by an outstanding defense. But for some reason, I feel this is going to be a, a little bit more of a shootout. I'm saying that the 49ers will not hold the Ravens to under 20 points. 31-17 Ravens. Interesting. I'm okay. going for so, it. So we're agreeing on that one. Yeah. Final clue. One, yeah. Will Kirk Cousins outthrow Russell Wilson in their Monday night football tilt? So this game is in Seattle. I feel like Russell Wilson's sort of been in a slump the last little while. Hasn't been playing as hot as as his MVP race would uh, would indicate. I know you're going to say Wilson, so I'm going to say that Cousins outthrows Wilson and uh, rely on the fact that we're going head-to-head in this one. Is that correct? No, nah, you're actually wrong this time. I'm really? so sick of hearing all of this. Kirk Cousins can't perform in prime time. Kirk Cousins can only beat bad teams. Kirk Cousins is terrible. Nah, Kirk Cousins is a really freaking good quarterback. In Seattle, though. I don't care. He might have some bad games from time to time, but he is elite. He has an offense around him that can put up the yards. I think he is going to outthrow Russell Wilson. I think that this is the spot for him to just shut everybody up and say, no, I am one of the best quarterbacks in this league. Now let me lead this team to this division. And it's kind of an interesting spot, too, because I'm... Not quite sure. I think the Seahawks are nine and two. The Vikings are eight and three. So if the Vikings win, I believe that it would push them up into fifth. So that would make them play the Cowboys if the playoffs were. If the Packers lose, Minnesota will be leading the division. Yeah, sorry, but I'm yeah. saying like even if say the say the Packers win as well, right? The Vikings would be into to fifth then, and they would be yeah. playing the Cowboys as opposed to playing uh, the Packers. So that might be a favorable matchup for them. Anyways, it's kind of interesting the the playoff implications this game will have. So definitely interesting to see. Um, so one thing that we wanted to talk about to end off this week, and it's going to be specifically me talking about this, but with the Frank Gore um, historic day and with the uh, the Mike Evans historic um, uh, pace that he's on right now, I wanted to just talk about a couple records that I think could be broken that maybe others didn't think could ever be broken. And uh, I just wanted to highlight those and see what Daniel would say. So that's sort of the way we wanted to end off today's episode. So the ones I want to talk about, and Daniel, I want to know what you think. So right now, the leader in career receiving yards is Jerry Rice with 22,895 yards. He played for 19 years in the NFL. Currently, there are only a couple active players or the closest active player to him is Larry Fitzgerald who's in second place Jason Witten is in 19th but he'll never ever get anywhere close I'm projecting Julio Jones may have a chance to beat Jerry Rice's record Julio Jones has played in the league for eight years now he has 11,000 yards receiving six or sorry 11,681 yards so pretty much half of Jerry Rice Daniel do you think Julio Jones has a shot to make it into first place receiving yards career I think Rice and Emmett Smith are two guys who are just kind of juggernauts at their position and I think probably have records that will never be broken. I just think of it, you'd have to have a thousand yard season for 23 straight years in the National Football League. That's not normal. No, but okay, so my next projection here. So I think Julio gets into that spot at some point. I think Julio has a shot to get into first place at some point. I think it won't be long before Julio is thrown off by Mike Evans. 
with the pace that he's on right now in his career, you look at his receiving totals and each year he's had significantly over a thousand or for the most part, significantly over a thousand. I think he has another shot at this. If Julio can beat it, or if not, I think he has a shot to overthrow Rice. And then beyond that, I think Mike Thomas also has a shot to at some point get close to 22,000 yards. So I think those three, if they, again, like this is obviously projecting quite a ways into the future, but I think all three have the chance to overthrow either Jerry Rice or each other. Um, at the rate that they're playing, um, do you, could you see any of those three doing it? It just seems so unlikely to me. Jerry Rice was a freak. Like, he <laughs> played for so long, and he played at a high years, level yeah. the entire time. For the most part. Like, the majority of his years with the 49ers, obviously. But, um, yeah, his couple years with the Raiders, he was pretty good as well. Towards the end of his career. Like, it shows that he played for 19 years. He didn't play at that level for 19 years. Um, just one fun tidbit to show how far back Larry Fitzgerald is. He's played 15 years. He has 16,872 yards. So he's basically 6,000 yards behind Jerry Rice um, in the number two spot. Like that just goes to show how untouchable this record is. But if any three guys have a shot at this with the numbers that they've put up already in their career, it's Julio, Mike Evans, and Mike Thomas. So anyways, we love talking history. We're football nerds, but that's how we wanted to end off today was just to talk through some of that. So give us your thoughts on any records you could see being broken. Uh, Cause we're again, we're football nerds and love to talk about this, but thanks for tuning in to uh, episode nine of the, the goal line fade. Daniel, I'll let you do your traditional closeout. Yeah. We really do appreciate every time that you guys download, give us a listen, give us a rating or a review. Um, we are still enjoying this so much, just getting to, to share our thoughts and um, we would love to connect with you guys on Twitter. If you have thoughts about episodes or ideas for segments or anything you want to hear us talk about on an episode, just uh, tweet at us at goal line fade, but replace that I in line with a one. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the support. Thank you for all the time that you spend listening. We hope to hear from you, but we'll see you all again next week. <laughs>